0: Thanks for having me on. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the show and love getting to uh, listen to your perspectives on leadership. It's always always exciting to listen to. So,
2: Thank you. And Eric, whereabouts are you based?
0: So I'm in Henderson, Nevada now. Um, I've always been on the West Coast, so I grew up in Southern California, but I've been here for the last uh, six months or so.
2: Okay. And your name, Eric Sk- uh, Skorzynski, where, where, where does that come, uh, originate from?
0: It's Polish. So yeah, it's Polish. I don't know anybody from Poland. I, I feel like I'm two or three generations away. So unfortunately, yep. I don't know much about my heritage in that direction. But I know enough to know when people ask the common question, where's your name from? It's it's Polish. <laughs>
2: so. Yeah, yeah. And fascinating work that you're doing, especially with the, uh, you know, the eight miniseries that you've done and the documentary, I should say, and then also your latest podcast. T- tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, like I said, you know, it's, I'm, I'm something I I guess I could be described as a storyteller and, and, you know, from the time I was a little kid, you know, six, seven years old, me and my friend would always make movies, quote unquote, with his dad's VHS camera. And so that was kind of my initial experience was as a, that was my playtime was, was making movies, making content. And you know, went from that to going to digital and tapes and little mini discs and now to DSLRs and things like that. And yeah, I just, the the two parts of me that have always kind of come together is I have a, a big desire to help people and a lot, and I'll get into that a little bit, but desire to help as many people as I can. And I also love storytelling. And so being able to apply you know, my work into helping nonprofits or helping individuals have better lives or to tell stories that I'm passionate about, those two things have always meshed really, really well. So.
2: Mm. and I I know that a lot of leaders today are very successful because they're being very good at storytelling. Um, okay. and I think that's a lot about being able to connect with the audience uh, and and take them on that uh, so which is really good to see so here's a question how or have you been in leadership
0: roles and how did
2: you get into leadership roles? have you been exposed to leadership roles?
0: Right. So when he sent the questions, and it's funny because like when he asked me to come on the podcast, I was, my initial thought was, well, I'm not really a leader. And um, when I told my wife that she was like, you, you have a podcast with like hundreds and thousands of people following and, and, and listening to direction and like kind of moving in a certain spot. And I was like, I guess technically I'm, I'm a leader, but you know, yeah, throughout my time. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the solopreneur world, um, but I've definitely in the last two or three years have definitely moved into more team positions. And so I've gotten to work under people, over people, with people. And it's just, for me, I think it comes from what you said in the beginning of the show. It's it's stories that inspire real change. And Mm -hmm. so I think when you're passionate about telling a story and when you're vocal about a cause, there's going to be like-minded voices that kind of rally around you. And you're going to have people that want to work with you to help you get that cause out. You're going to find people as mentors who you can work under. And so leadership, I think uh, when leadership fails is when people try to push themselves into a position versus allowing a position to come from what they're already passionate about or finding someone who's passionate about it and is making progress.
2: Awesome. That's that's awesome. Yeah, beautiful. And I think that you know, it's quite interesting how you're saying about. Uh, I, I don't see myself as a leader, but you know, there's two hundred something thousand people who have downloaded your episodes, <laughs> right. and 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 so you become. I think it's not the title. It's it's it's, uh, it's a it's an influence. It's right. being able to influence people as well, which is really important. And I think, as you say, it's about that position and and then allowing it to come out, which is really interesting. Here's a, an interesting question for you. Now, I'm, I'm sure you may have several. Who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be from, uh, could be alive, or could be from history. Who's your favorite leader, and why?
0: So, my answer is kind of non-traditional, but the person that comes to mind whenever I talk about influence or who shaped the way I think about just life and career and things is a filmmaker from Pittsburgh named George Romero, and it's perfect timing because it's Halloween season. But he directed um, *Night of Living Dead*, which is like a You know very famous film and was very progressive at its time because it had a black protagonist and but what i love about george romero is he was not a hollywood filmmaker he was a pittsburgh filmmaker and he made these movies out of his hometown with his friends and would create these incredible movies that became world renowned for the messages they had the stories that they told I mean, a guy from Pittsburgh making a movie that a, a Stephen King watches and says it, you know, it scared him and made him feel like he was a bowl of jelly. Like, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff's great. But even beyond just his like filmmaking prowess, mm. there's two things that I really appreciate is one, he always had his the things he was passionate about. So political views, social issues they naturally flowed into his work. And, you know, when he made an eye living dead with a black protagonist, people were like, Oh, did you mean to tell this huge message and create this? And he said, No, he was the best actor of all of our friends. And I like the fact that he was, he wasn't trying to be this faux progressive and push things forward. It was a natural outpouring of what he was already passionate about and cared about and the way he lived. And and the next part of that kind of ties in, but I really love that even though he had small budgets and not the resources of, say, a Spielberg or somebody, he had people that would always follow him from project to project because mm-hmm. they believed in what he was doing. And right. so I always – I'm constantly thinking about Romero. And that's that's someone even in high school, like reading books about him and, and listening to interviews. It was amazing to me that somebody who didn't have the quote-unquote leg up built this massive – kind of movement of people just because he was a good person with a definite vision. Awesome.
2: Yeah. So. And I think you're right. I mean, people following him from project to project more because of the fact that they believe in him and they believe in what he's doing, uh, I think it's really cool. And I, I could relate to the story because, you know, this part of the world uh, in New Zealand, we had a guy who used to do films and it was real budget and and used to do it in the backyard or on the farm and bare feet and so forth. And then, hello, Peter Jackson you know, Lord of right. the Rings, yeah, it's massive, right? And so yeah. it's really interesting how we we also look at ourselves thinking, you know, you said before, from Pittsburgh and, you know, this guy and he's doing these films and then Stephen King says his comment. Well, we think the same as well about Peter Jackson, you know, he's a guy. You know? right. So it's amazing how for a lot of us we think that we're in a situation whereby – Can we actually get into that global stage? Mm -hmm. Can we actually go and do something bigger? Um, Are we going to be worthy to do it bigger? Or for some people come that imposter syndrome too. But it's really interesting how people do go and do it, but it comes down to the one thing I think you said, which is the passion, right? That's that passion and that excitement. If If they can share that with others, I think that's great.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And and it can happen both ways too. I mean, I grew up in California, so I was poised yeah. to be this, you know, like it's kind of a joke, like I'm a videographer from California, but you know, I had the opposite and, and we always let our location or some other excuse say we can't do something. You know, for me it was, well, there's already too many videographers. There's already too many podcasters. There's too many people that are successful in California. I'd have a better shot if I was in a Pittsburgh where there's nobody else doing what I'm doing. But yeah, it's important not to let that imposter syndrome creep in because it's always coming.
1: So I've been at Dell Technologies for about seven years now. And so as you mentioned in the bio, I lead our assessment analytics practice, which is very broad in terms of what as those, as those projects were that you mentioned. So I lead everything from our employee engagement survey to other listening tools, to how we assess and develop our team members and just kind of talent in general. And so my background being IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology, means that I study people in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. so my goal at Dell Technologies is to figure out how do we learn and grow and listen to our team members and then evolve the workplace to fit their needs. And so we'll listen through surveys, we'll do focus groups, we'll look at assessment data, we'll figure out what assessments we need to understand our talent. And then we'll adjust and we'll, we'll, based on this feedback from our team members, we'll do things like, you know, like we mentioned the, the, the performance ratings. So Dell got yeah. performance ratings a couple of years back. And so one of my research projects was to look and figure out, okay, well, how do we motivate team members without a performance rating? So we did a lot of surveys and research at that point to kind of say, okay, we need something to motivate our team members our team members are telling us that having no rating is something that's different for them so how do we provide toolkits and resources to leaders to team members mm. in order to adjust to that change and so that's just one example of the projects that i do because there's a big research component of, of really just kind of understanding as the company evolves how do we evolve with it
2: yeah great oh, that, that sounds fascinating i mean i tell you what i i well, I've got a question for you very soon about how you actually got into the industrial organisational psychology or why did you get into that? But that's, that's a question I've got for you in a second because, you know, travelling the world and going to work with a whole lot of leaders, one thing I really enjoy is actually sitting at these airports. I know waiting for airplanes is a long time and it can be boring at times, but I love watching people in the airports and just watching how they behave and what they do and and so forth. It's just fascinating. So what made you get into industrial and organisational psychology?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question, and I get asked it a lot, and often (laughs) the answer is not as as, uh, well thought out as it should be. But I got my degree, my bachelor's in psychology, and was told by advisors that, you you know, you have to probably go and get a degree further, a master's degree or a doctorate degree, in order to get a, a really good job. The bachelor's in psychology is something that's sometimes hard to find good work for. Uh Um, I did some research and kind of realized I wanted to go into corporate America. And so I tried to find the balance, right? of like having a psychology degree, but wanting to go into corporate America and just happened to stumble on IO psychology, which is that perfect combination of studying people, but in the context of corporate America or work in general. And so it ended up just being something where I, I lucked upon something that was really, really amazing for me.
2: Yeah, oh, that's 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 wonderful, and um, yeah, I think the the whole area that you're just talking about is fascinating in the sense that you know we we are people. I mean, life. Sometimes I say this, which is quite interesting. Life will be so much simpler without people, but you know we can't we, we can't do that, of course. But um, I think the thing here is understanding people and getting the best out of them is is what's really important. Is is that what that's all about as well? You know, understanding them getting to get the best out of them, and so then organizations will see the best out of people too.
1: Right, especially when you realize so much of our our life is spent at work. So when you mm. study people and you study people at work, you're really studying the majority of people's life, <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. You do spend a lot of time at work, don't you? I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting how we do, and wow, it's pretty good. Hey, so over the years, you've, you've, you've been in leadership positions and that. So how did you get into leadership?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And this goes back to some my studies at grad school and looking at the research on leadership and learning that there was more to leadership than just kind of being in power over a team. There was this um, need to influence people. Uh, and motivate people and how do you do that and instead of like even if you're not in a direct leadership position and you might be leading a project or leading an agile team or as we get into this, these, you know, big economies, you might be leading something, a team of people that might not directly report to you. And so mm-hmm. as I studied in grad school just about leadership in general and realizing how broad the term was. Um, and how it it wasn't just, again, it wasn't just that kind of, I lead a a, the head of a team. It was really influencing, motivating, and finding strengths in your team members and building those strengths. And so studying it in in grad school and getting all the science behind it and the data behind, you know, what bad leaders look like, what good leaders look like. And um, you mentioned I I teach at the University of Texas, and one of the things I ask my class is, you know, what does the first class, I said, what does leadership mean to you? And I have them just give me words and often words come up and I'm just like, huh, that's an interesting one. You know, the way we describe leadership is usually in terms of, you know, heading a team or being someone that's in charge or giving people direction and what to do. And it's so much broader than that. And so I think that was the intriguing part of it to me was that the influence piece and how do you get people to do things and work in a certain way, even if you don't have that direct power over them.
2: Yeah, and even get them to influence in a way that they think they're coming up with the idea to then go off and do it even better. Um, I think that's that's a lot better as well. Mm-hmm. So for you, um, I, I have a lot of guests on, on the show, of course, as you know, in different episodes and uh, both male and female. What has that journey been like for you as a female and um, as an African American? So uh, living in in the US, what's that journey been like for you in becoming a leader?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic question, and it's and it's different. And I and I like that you asked the question because there's a different experience, especially in America, being African American, and you know, with the history of of so many you know of slavery and things, and in ha- so many systematic um, injustices making it to a leadership position in America as an African-American female is unfortunately rare. Um, And so it's been really awesome to have advocates, I will say. I've had over my years, especially at Dell, I've had advocates in my corner that were people that saw my work, that, that met me, that knew me, and were advocating for me on the back end of like, hey, have you met Stephanie Murphy? Or hey, have you met, you know, have you seen this person's work? And just having people advocate for me in the background was really how I think I got to, to be, become a leader, was having people, was doing good work, having people recognize it, and having people that weren't afraid to be those advocates for me in the background. Um, and not just in the background, but also in the forefront. Um, they have been obstacles in the sense where I often find myself having to break down stereotypes. I actually am a teen mom. I had my son before going to grad school. And so mm. I have beat a lot of statistics being African American, being female, having being a teenage mom, and then progressing to get my PhD and then be a leader in a Fortune 500 company and a professor at one of the top business schools in the U.S. And so it's it's been defying stereotypes about myself time and time again and breaking down barriers and allowing my work to speak for itself. And so just kind of doing my best work, doing the best that I can. And then after a while, people say, okay, I've had the stereotype of this person, but Stephanie doesn't fit it, you know, and kind of breaking down those barriers as I grow.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So i uh, have going from teen mom to leader to professor wow that, that's a pretty cool uh, journey there for sure and the other thing too is i like what you said about that you know you do your good work you just get on with it you, you do what you need to do go out there and deliver it bring your a game there and then you know come accompany that with the strong advocates that's that's a strong combination just that by itself which is which is wonderful to see